Welcome everyone to the Take It Home Podcast. I'm your host, John LaRocca. On today's episode, I'm going back in time again. I've been really hooked on these retro shows. Um, I get my phases. Sometimes I'm watching modern day stuff, a lot of indie stuff, a lot of international scene. But lately I've been like kind of cruising back, watching some old school footage. I mean, I kind of always do check out old school footage here and there. But I've been, you know, since WWF, or sorry, WWF. I'm saying WWF because this is a WWF show I covered. Uh, on I'm me covering on this show. Um, ever since on the Peacock Network, they uploaded some '88 uh, Maple Leaf Garden shows. I've been kind of you know checking those out, and I decided to check out the next one I was going on my list, and that was from July 24th, 1988. And um, I just really enjoyed this show. So when I watched it, I wasn't even thinking about even covering it for the Take It On Podcast. I was just watching it just for my own personal enjoyment. And I'm like, God, I really got to talk about the show. I really like how this show flowed and and the matches and there's one match on there was in my opinion just a barn burner i'm looking forward to talk about that one and another match that totally surprised me you know i just didn't it became a a really good match and i thought it'd be an okay match or a decent match but it ended up just kind of just wow just totally shocking me and i'm looking forward to talking about that one um but yeah you know so i've been in that mode looking at old school wrestling on the Peacock Network with the WWE stuff on there. And also, uh, you know, I've been checking out some stuff on YouTube. Um, there's a great YouTube page called Armstrong Alley that's been posting some very rare uh, indie stuff. And also, uh, some recently, some Smoky Mountain handheld footage. Um, so, and that's been fun to watch because a lot of stuff I haven't seen. I don't think ever. Yeah, never really got went and got. I was never like like too much into the handheld stuff, unless it's like the only way you can see it is to watch the handheld footage. Because uh, sometimes it's just shaky, or the person on the camera is kind of talking too much, or or they're just you know, if it's a good shot, I will see it. And back in the day when you used to tape trade or or even buy tapes, there would be like descriptions of like the quality of the the video footage and also like the quality of the person film filming these handheld shows. So um I always would look at that. So if it's something rare I would check out and I would I would uh I would get. So so it's fun watching those the Smoky Mountain matches that uh you know never seen. Some are just like smaller house show stuff where there was a match with you know Dirty White Boy, Tony Anthony, one of my favorites of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, just in Southern Wrestling in, in general, versus Bruiser Bedlam. And they had this match in this small town in Virginia, and it wasn't that big of a crowd, like a few hundred people. And they worked it like work in a small town. It was just, you know, a lot of crowd work, and, you know, they barely took any bumps. And it was still pretty entertaining, but I, I kind of just like seeing, like, veteran workers, like, do enough get by, I mean, they're just, and, but they're still entertaining the fans. A lot of people, like, will see a match like this, like, oh, they're being lazy, they're mailing it in. But these fans are totally into it. They're totally, you know, they want to see Bruiser Bellum get it, and they're cheering on the dirty white boy, and and that's all they care about. And they're not sitting there like, oh, he didn't do enough clotheslines, or he didn't come off the top rope, or they didn't brawl out on the floor too long, or, you know, no one hit a moonsault, you know, no one's working hard. There's just... Like wrestling, there's various different levels of working hard. There's also working smart, and you know, this this show they they knew their crowd. You you got to know your audience, right? Um, and you know, today's wrestling more and more, it's a lot of guys are just going out there with their pre-planned match, their choreograph with they in the back, and they go out there and do that match, and they don't even think about like what the crowd wants. You know, it's like some crowd like. Uh, I think Jim Cornette per- said the best. Like, you can't feed chicken to a vegetarian crowd. You don't know until you get out there. So, and just working, just going out there and work is just, it's just an art that's just dying quickly. And it's, it's sad to see, you know. That's why I would love the guys like Timothy Thatcher, Old School Alder John, um, J- Jeff Cobb, J.R. Kratos. Um, uh, 
Thomas Centel, Promise Thomas, you know, guys that know how to work and they can just go out there, you know, communicate with each other in the back. Hey, yeah, yeah, okay, cool, cool. And boom, go out there and just do it. And then, you know, they change on the fly if something doesn't work out. Like, that's the beauty of it. I still love that. And as a manager, I worked as a manager, even though I was not in the ring taking bumps, you know, with as the wrestlers are doing, you know, I would take a bump here and there as a manager. I love the matches that we all went out there and just called everything. Like, you know, like I knew when the guy was feeding me for heat. Yeah, you know, I, I just loved that. I love feeling it. It just made it so much fun instead of like concentrating and waiting for a certain spot to happen and blah blah blah. I just, I just enjoyed working, you know, and I learned a lot as a I'm so glad I I became a pro wrestling manager because it helped me learn so much about working in the ring. And it just, it's just, you know, fun. Like that's why I like watching these old school stuff. Cause like you just see these guys going out there and working and working and just feeling the crowd. Um, and it's just something that doesn't go right. They, you know, it's quick grab a hole, start again, you know, no big deal. Nowadays it's just so choreographed and, and, you know, it just looks so. It just looks so fake. You know, it's sad to see. And then I'm watching this 1988 WWF, and a lot of people are like, "Well, that was so fake. They had all these wacky gimmicks." And but man, I'm watching Randy Savage, Teddy DiBiase just burn the fucking house down, and I'm just like, dude, this stuff here looks so much better <laughs> than what's out there today. It, it just it's just killing it. You know, it's not even close. And a lot of people think, well, wrestling needs to evolve. I don't think it's evolved. I think it's, you know, devolved, honestly, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, there's some aspects of modern wrestling I do enjoy. There's a lot of talent I do like to watch. But, man, it's just when you go back and watch the old school stuff, it's just so much fun. And and I, I, I encourage the younger fans that listen to this podcast to check out the old school stuff. And, and you you could tell the difference when someone's calling it. You can feel it. Even you know, you know, even if you don't know everything about the inner workings, you can you can just tell it's a, a different flow. It doesn't look so so choreographed. So you get, don't don't shy away from older footage. And, you know, a lot of young kids. That's what pisses me off. Like I don't want to watch that. It's from the seventies. Like you can. There's shit that people are doing. That's old, but make it new again. And I'm going to talk about some, that in, a, in one match I saw. Some, a lot of fun stuff that you just don't see anymore that looks good, and people should bring it back. So, this was again, this is from Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, July 24, 1988. Canadian wrestling crowds are always good. Um, and this crowd was great. They were into everything. Um even though they would give a match a hard time by the, being the guys worked the guys worked hard and got them into the match they love wrestling they know wrestling these fans um on commentary was gorilla monsoon and sean mooney and sean mooney i'm trying to remember when he started as a i know he was the event center guy which was you know when i was a kid that's when i first saw so i'm always like used to him doing the event centers and to me he's the best because that's the first i saw but i thought he was tremendous and as a as you can tell as a color commentator here, you still kind of, you know, Gorilla's leading him, right? Gorilla, Gorilla's leading him. And, and, and Gorilla Monsoon, I always love Gorilla Monsoon. Um, but, like, people get mad at JR, Jim Ross right now in AEW when he starts bagging on stuff or starts, like, you know, you tell his frustration. You guys, if you don't like JR now because of what he does with, when you know, because like he's so honest on AEW, like, you would not like Gorilla Monsoon because he... It's pissing me off here. Like he doesn't like put things over, or or he he like just uh, dresses down the wrestler for not doing something instead of like, well, you know, he didn't execute it properly. He didn't get all all of it, or not like, oh, he's not gonna beat him with that. You know, like like you just like gotta explain why. Like he just sometimes he just and he loves the bag on the referees. So I'm trying to remember if he ever is harder. You know, because his son is Joey Morella, and I always wondered if. I don't think I've ever heard him really bag on Joey Morello, but everyone else he'll 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 bag on. Um, so it's just you know it's my, my buddy Tom Cash and I used to always talk about Gorilla Monsoon like we love him because it's part of our youth. 
you know, Girl Monsoon, Jessica Tura, Girl Monsoon, Bob Heenan. But, man, he'd always just bag on the referees. And Tom, of course, is a referee, a great referee. And we used to always joke, like, man, if Girl Monsoon ever calls your match and got on you, you know, for something. We just would always get a crack about that. So, so uh, but, you know, they, 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 they had a good, a good call on the show, I thought, personally. Before I get into these matches, there's seven matches on this card. I want to talk quickly about our fight game, Medium Patreon Plus, $5 a month. You get a lot of great content on there. You got uh, We got everything covered from pro wrestling, of course, boxing, mixed martial arts. And we got, when it comes to pro wrestling, we got it all on that, on that Patreon. Everything for all different style wrestling fans. We have, uh, if you like the old school stuff, we got... You know, Garrett Gonzalez and myself have a Raw 1998 review where we review um, all the Raws from 1998 and plus the pay-per-views. And we're going to be reviewing, coming up, Judgment Day, uh, which featured Kane versus The Undertaker for the held-up WWE title with Stone Cold Steve Austin as a special guest referee. I don't remember this pay-per-view at all. And I don't even remember if I even watched it. Maybe I did. If I did, it's probably once. So I'm looking forward to watching that this weekend and covering it on on the Patreon. We got the Five Star Joshi Show covering everything from Joshi Wrestling. People really love that show. Um, we got a lot of great subscribers. Just that show alone, Scott does a great job with that with that podcast because you know what? Not a lot of places are covering. Japanese women wrestling, and it's got so passionate about it, and it's a really fun listen to. If you don't even like really follow Japanese women's wrestling, just I think you really enjoy this podcast. I think you start learning a lot about it, and you might pique your interest and you want to check out some of these really great, talented athletes. Um, the Brace for Impact podcast, uh, Mike Gilbert, JD Oliva talk about everything Impact Wrestling, of course. On our free feed that you're listening to my Take It Home podcast on, they have the Impact Wrestling television review. But on the Patreon is when Mike and JD start giving those little extra behind-the-scenes stuff, you know, all the talent stuff, all the all the contract. They, you know, Chris Bay just uh, re- they re-signed him, but they they lost a few talent. They lost. Uh, uh, I don't know more guys and Vincent and kind of sad to see because I thought, you know, when those guys came, they really added to impact wrestling and like some freshness, you know, and they're good talents. They also lost another, they lost Mia Yim. Her contract ran out and, you know, maybe they can resign her. I have a feeling she'll probably end up in AEW with her husband, though she could go back to WWE. They lost another woman. On there, I'm not going to mention who, but they lost another woman that's going to be returning to a major company soon. So, a lot of great stuff on the on the the Fight Game Media Patreon Plus. So, check that out. We got you know you know write that down with uh, you know specials with Justin Nipper and Fumi Saido. Of course, we got special guest shows. Uh, we have you know interviews with Dave Meltzer, John Moxley. And we do like special uh, shows like uh, Garrett Gonzalez and Chris and Chris DiPietro is doing um, the Cobra Kai review. So a lot of fun stuff on the Patreon. Again, five dollars a month. Give it a shot one time. One one Starbucks less a month, and you can check out Viking Media Plus. And if you don't like it, hey, give it. You know, it's, it's cool. No, you know, we won't be offended. But I think you're gonna stick with us. I really do. All right, let's get to the show. I'm super excited to talk about the show. Uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, July 24, 1988. 1988 was an interesting year for WBF. Hogan went off to film No Holds Barred. Randy Savage was uh, crowned the WWF champion. And, of course, you know, business was good, but also dipped a bit with Randy Savage as champion. And that was going to happen with anyone as champion, right, after Hogan. Uh, but I thought Macho was a great WWE champion. Um, 88 was such a fun year. I love the whole... Because, you know, the Mega Powers exploding. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage breakup. You know, that whole angle feud. It's, from, it's just one of my favorite storylines in wrestling history. It, it probably is my, is my favorite storyline. Because it starts in 87. And 
it really doesn't end to the end of 89. I was really thinking about this today. Like, think about how how it started with, you know, Hogan coming out, saving Macho Man uh, on a Saturday Night event and, like, in 87, like, late 87. And then, of course, stuff with WrestleMania and the title change and, you know, Randy Savage uh, winning the vacated title. Um, all that stuff leading to matches. SummerSlam, the Mega Powers united against the, uh, uh, you know, DiBiase and Andre the Giant and continued through the Survivor Series. They sh- had a little issue with the Royal Rumble 89. And then, you know, the, the Mega Powers exploded when, you know, Macho, Macho Man's jealousy just boiled over when you saw Hogan lift, you know, an injured Elizabeth back to the locker room. And then, you know, then they had that, you know, WrestleMania 5 main event that did great, great business. And it continued on. You did, they threw Zeus in from the movie No Holds Barred. And I tell you what an underrated match is. Go back, watch the SummerSlam event, Hulk Hogan, Bruce Bar Beefcake versus Macho Man Randy Savage and Zeus. And just marvel at the the performance of Randy Savage's match. Because, you know, Zeus, very, very limited. You know, Savage is just keep it all together this match he's bumping all around he's doing all the work on his team man he was on fire a lot of people should talk about that match it, more it's 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 really good and and just once you see that we watch it again you'll like wow macho man was the man in that match and i hope he got a nice bonus for that performance and of course the the programs continue to go even though there's some little macho man versus jim duggan stuff at the end of the year, they still had Hogan and Beefcake versus Macho Man and Zeus in a cage match. The the I never get this pay per view. It was the match in the movie. I remember going to my buddy Chatting's house on a I think it was Christmas break. His parents are at work. Rolled my bike over his house. He only lived a few blocks away, and I remember it was like a, you know December crisp morning, just you know and. Sat there we, and like we watched the match and that was it. We didn't watch the movie because we saw the movie in the theater. And I just remember and we just you know started shooting hoop after. That's just one of those memories. I just I just could just see clearly, you know. And then the match was a fun little match. I, I remember I think I watched it that once and it was fine. And I rewatched it like probably like ten years later. Um, and I was like, oh man, this match was like so short and quick. And you know they they're trying to steal steal a pay per view back then with the. Uh, with this match, I'm trying. I don't have the observers from back then, but it'd be fun to see what the buy rate was for that and all that. But good times, man. Good memories. But so 1988, like I said, Crockett having a what seems to be a good year, but the financial mismanagement in the background really, you know, caused problems. And Tolian Arn left. Uh, they sold to Turner and and. You know, WCW just had some moments, but it was always kind of a mismanaged company until Bischoff kind of, for a couple of years, did really well. And then he he just became a mark for the boys and just, you know, became, you know, instead of being the businessman, he just became, you know, trying to want to be one of the boys and be involved. And, of course, they overspend and, and, and they lost their way. And, then of course, they shut down. Um 88 was also, in my opinion, like the last straw for the territories. You know, world class was around. Excuse me, Memphis, Portland was still around. Um, uh, Florida wasn't. No, that was gone. You know, AWA was, you know, sh- struggling in 88. So they, you know, of course, Memphis, world class in Texas. And Vern's AWA all got together for Super Clash 88. That was a bust. And then kind of like, kind of was like, yeah, it's, you know, not there was territories. You know, Memphis would go on for a while. There was various different, different uh, territories in, in Texas, but it wasn't those weren't big money, you know, stuff. Portland still hung on to like 1992. And, you know, they, you know, it wasn't, the best 090 was a, a, a fun year. It just wasn't much. It wasn't. It wasn't 
were everywhere every state had a territory and and you know wrestling was really thriving it was basically wbf and you know the nwa slash wcw um but 88 still had a lot of great in-ring stuff wbf had a really good year in ring in my opinion um and highlighted by in my opinion their best in-ring matches of 1988 and that was uh Macho Man Randy Savage as the WF champion versus the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. And that is one of the uh, the big feature matches. That was really the main event of the show, though it's in the middle of the show. Um, and that was such a great match. And we're going to talk about that. But opening up was a very interesting match. Uh, this match actually aired on Primetime Wrestling on August 8th. It was Terry Taylor, not yet the Red Rooster. Defeating Cowboy Scott Casey. I just call him Cowboy Scott Casey because that's what he's a cowboy. Via submission with a Scorpion Deathlock in 12 minutes and 7 seconds. Um, after the bout, uh, long, long time veteran wrestler, now turned commentator, now turned interviewer, Billy Red Lions interviewed Taylor Taylor in the ring. Before we get to the interview, the match I thought was really good. Of course, you know, opening match, crowd is you know they're excited to see some action but taylor's new scott casey's they they you know he's just a the opening match guy and they're still working holds and, and building it nicely and they get the crowd cooking in this match they're by the the home stretch man they're 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 really into the false finishes and really on the side of scott casey they want to see him beat terry taylor terry taylor's such a good worker uh, a lot of people just will always kind of go back to the Red Rooster deal. But, man, he is such a good worker. Go back. Watch his, match, watch his matches in Mid-South, EWFs. Um, you know, right before EWF closed up, maybe before Crockett bought it, like, Terry Taylor feud with Chris Adams. Man, he was one of the best heels in wrestling. Um Go back, there's a lot of footage of uh, stuff from the San Houston Coliseum with uh, stuff from Mid-South Wrestling. Check out those matches. There's a great match with him and Butch Reed that went like 30-plus minutes. There's a f- really good Flair versus Terry Taylor match when he's a babyface. Um, you know, babyface or heel, Terry Taylor could do it all. Um, it's kind of unfortunate he didn't really find that great success in WWF. This was the era, of course, of the steroids. Everyone is jacked. Of course, Terry Terry wasn't a steroids guy. If he was, it just didn't show like others did. Scott Casey, I mean, he always kind of had a good build, but damn, you, you know, he's on the sauce here. Shoulders are huge, neck trap. Um, like this match was, like I said, solid match. I, what I really liked about this match is Scott Casey early on goes and does like this flying knee in the corner and connects, right? Later on, he goes for that flying in the corner, misses. Taylor starts taking over on a leg, and and I like that because the fans saw that Scott Casey earlier on was successful doing this move, doing the you know the flying knee in the corner, and this time it, it made sense for why he would go go for it again. Like I love the Flair Ric Flair versus Sting match from Great American Bash ninety. You know, of course, it wasn't the Clash one epic, and it, and it couldn't be because you know Sting's coming back from a very serious knee injury. They didn't, they didn't know how long he, that will hold up, so they kept it short. It was like six, I think, it was like sixteen minutes and six seconds. But there's a moment in that match where Sting goes for a flying knee in the corner. Flair moves. Sting goes crashing. You know, knee goes crashing into the corner. Sells it great coming out of it. Oh no, the injured knee got hurt again. Flair's gonna take advantage of figure four. And you know, and, but what I didn't I never liked about that is because Sting never does that. <laughs> he never flies the corner with a knee. So I used to hate that when guys would do that. Like when when guys with a heel would work on a, a leg and a lot of guys would do this flying knee in the corner and miss. And it's like they never do it. So it just looked just looks odd to me though. But but I like to hear because Scott Casey hits it early, goes for it later, misses, 
Taylor starts working the leg. And, of course, Taylor gets this, the win with the Scorpion Deathlock. And Sean Moon calls it. He calls it the Scorpion, which was a fun fun thing to hear. But this was a good, solid opening match. I'm like, all right, this is what it's all about. Get the crowd into it. You know, opening match. It's, it's, opening match is one of the most important matches on the card. You know, probably just as, you know, just below your main event because the opening match is not good. And the crowd's like, you know, not into it. It could affect how they react the rest of the show. So they got, you got to get the crowd into it. So you always have, I always booked a, 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 a really good, solid opening match. That was, you know, I wanted to get the crowd into the action. Um, I would always kind of have that kind of match, you know, and I knew that these guys would deliver and deliver a, a really good match to get the crowd just into the show. They're sitting, they are in line. They got their food. They're sitting down. Give them action. Give them wrestling. And I like matches that wouldn't really go out of the ring in the opening match, and they shouldn't. The opening match shouldn't go out of the ring, really. I like matches that would you know show holds and work, you know, and just get them to the basics of wrestling so okay we're sitting down for a wrestling show this is what we pay our tickets to see we see wrestling um so i just can't i watch these indies and these guys are oh we're opening up with a street fight it's like ah fuck god damn you know like because everyone tries to book like they're wf or out of tv and it's like or just marks and they're just booking gimmick matches because i'd like to book gimmick matches and it doesn't it won't make sense but because we really need a a, a, a hardcore match on here we, that's what you need to have a hardcore a scientific wrestling match a hardcore match a big championship match we need a women's match like it's like no man what ha- let it flow let it have a let there be a reasons behind it you know just don't do a hardcore quote unquote match or a gimmick match just because you have to have one. I hate that mentality. We need a spot match. You guys that just do spots. No, we don't. You don't need that. And that's why he's Mark's book now. It, it just it just frustrates the, the hell out of me. Um, and it's just it's just get with it, guys. And no, but no one's teaching these guys that. And they don't want to listen. These guys they think they know it all because you know they read online and you know. They know what to do. This is how they do it. Nah, it's, it's not the way. Not the way it is. Next match, match number two. This was interesting. King Haku, which I always was a fan of Haku, and I love the King Haku era. I thought, what a great idea to put the the king on him, the crown on him, because you know Haku needed something. He was always respected in the locker room. He's a legit badass, of course, uh, but like. If, he needed something, and I thought, always thought that really gave him that that crown really elevated him, and it, it was able him to have matches with Hogan on on a house show run. And um, I took him as a very credible wrestler. Um, he's wrestling SG Jones here, who was subbing for Junkyard Dog, and this match went way longer than I expected. I thought, wow! At first, I was like, SG Jones is still. There now, granted, Junkyard Dog was, uh, you know, a cancellation for some reason or another. And they probably called, you know, old reliable SG Jones. You know, hey, can you make it to Toronto to fill this spot? And I thought, like, wow, SG Jones still there. King Haku is, you know, uh, refreshed with this King gimmick. I, personally, how I would have booked this match, just destroyed. SC Jones, right? Haku got there, you know, really get on him. And that's what happened in the beginning. Like, he can't, it's a great heat right away. Boom, boom, boom. Great, great action with Haku just, just going at it with SG Jones. But then SG Jones, well, you know, give SG Jones a little come. He gets, he gets a little comeback, but eventually he hit that big crescent kick. Boom. One, two, three. This match went eight minutes and 20 seconds. There was some a lot of miscommunications in this match. You could tell they weren't on the same page, but not like it was a falling apart. Like they're just tripping on each other or anything like that. There were just some communications and what was what was gonna happen, you know. Like and it, but you know they ended up having a decent match. I just thought like man, SG Jones. I know well respected veteran, been there for a long time. But King Haku's on a rise, and and though this match from my list here 
I believe did not make t- any kind of um, you know primetime wrestling or anything. So you know, establish it to the crowd. You know, if it's if it's not you know get get him over in the in the Toronto area. He's already over there before. He's you know wrestled in that territory before the WWF. Have him go and just kill SD Jones. You know, not literally, but you know destroy him and and get a really decisive win. And you can come back with this. Hogan versus Haku later. Man, he just thrashed SG Jones. But so it was a little bit long at times. But I was just getting a kick out of this match because one, I love Haku. Two, when they had the miscommunication, I always like how they're going to re- how veterans react. And it's of course they're just smooth. You know, no big deal. Start over. Not do the same spot. You know, right away so everyone knows all oh, we fucked up or whatever. It just keep working, keep working, keep working, keep working. Uh, so, you know, okay match. I, it would have been great if it was just a straight, just get over match with King Haku. But maybe, hey, let's give SD Jones something. He's subbing for Junkyard Dog. Let's let, let him have a match here. The next match was a big time surprise. Now, I was already looking forward to it. Like, I like both these men. It was Greg Valentine pinning Don Morocco in 13 minutes and 53 seconds after hitting him with his shin guard as Morocco tried to uh, relieve the referee who was knocked down just moments earlier as, you know, Morocco was attempting a tombstone. He went to look at the tombstone. Uh, Valentine had been a tombstone. Of course, the legs hit the referee and, you know, no, no managers here. No Jimmy Hart on this show. No Slick on this show. Um, uh, only manager, actually, no, excuse me. The only manager that was there was, um, Miss Elizabeth for the Macho Man Randy Savage. And I never thought of Virgil's a manager, but he was out there. He was a valet. He was out there with Teddy Biasi. That was it. No managers, no Jimmy Hart or Mr. Fuji was there, but he was wrestling in the main event. And we'll talk about that. Um, but this match here, Greg Valentine versus Don Morocco. Crowd was heated for this. They hated Greg Valentine. They loved Don Rock. Of course, Greg Valentine broke the leg of superstar Billy Grant, who was mentoring. Or uh, at first, he was uh, trying to make a comeback, but it just wasn't working out. And you know, he had to get surgery on his hip. So to uh, to write him off, they had Greg Valentine take him out. And of course. Billy Graham was mentoring Don Morocco. And so Don Morocco was getting revenge. So the crowd was like into this, this, this program here and just action packed. Both men worked really hard. Morocco was in 1988 was massive. He's always a big guy, but he was just gassed up. Chest was huge. His shoulders were just two big 45 plates um that was traps i mean he's so vascular all, all over his you know chest and shoulders and biceps he looked awesome man he just looked he looked like truly a cartoon character kind of life like he could have you know stood in for uh some incredible hulk you know shots they just paint him green he'd be fine um uh, and i love morocco's you know, offense. Everything, you know, even though he's bigger, he's still, you know, pretty quick. Valentine, I love his work. Just the hard chops, hard forearm. There's a, there's a moment where the camera's on the floor and and, Mar- and Valentine has Morocco on the, on the on the apron sticking out his head on the floor. He's just laying in some shots with the forearm shots and elbows. It looks so great. Uh, Morocco hit this awesome shoulder breaker which used to be one of his finisher movers maneuvers back in the day and he just quickly picks up valentine drops the shoulder breaker boom it looked awesome the crowd bought that as a finish of course valentine was able to get his foot on the rope and just oh my god no one does a shoulder breaker like that anymore the classic shoulder breaker like, the shoulder breaker looks awesome. Bring it back. It's a finish. It really is. Like, you don't need to do the shoulder breaker and lock on a, a Fujiwara arm bar. Like, you can just do the shoulder breaker and pin a guy. Um, another a move from the 80s that needs to be brought back. The atomic drop. 87, 70s, 80s, really. The atomic drop. The inverted 
atomic drop. I used to love when Ricky Martin would whip a guy in the corner, the guy would bounce out of the corner, and he'd pick the guy up, do like a quick, almost like a snap, inverted atomic drop. It just looks so good. Um, you could do a lot with the, you know, if you got a, like a goofy, you know, heel, you know, a bumping heel, you know, Heel swings, misses, ducks. You pick them up for the heel for a, a tom drop. Boom, hit the tom drop. Boom, they take that big bump over the top rope. Like, it's exciting shit. Or through the ropes. Like, you know, like, bring those moves back. They're easy. Easy moves to execute. Easy moves for the, the crowd, live crowd and the crowd at home to, to register and see what you're doing there. And, you know, so many great bumps you can take off those, you know. And and you could you know take the atomic drop, and boom, the momentum takes you to the ropes. You bounce on the ropes, and you take a big backdrop. Like a lot of cool stuff you can do off the atomic drop, and inverted atomic drop. Like you know, inverted drop, drop, boom. You had it. The guy doubles over inside cradle. One, two, kick out. You know, swing and miss, backslide. One, two. Like you do a lot of cool stuff off the interesting inverted atomic drop. Uh, you know, I just ugh, love those old moves. Bring it back. What's old is new again, guys. You're trying to come out with some, I'm trying to come up with some unique flipping move or off the top rope or, you know, guys, I, I had to sit there and steady my feet on the top rope. So the guy on the bottom is waiting for me, has to stand there and wait for me. And we all look like a bunch of fucking goofballs. Like, give me a fucking well-executed tonic drop and how the, and a, and a guy understanding how to take it. Like, give me that, right? Uh, Valentine won. Fuck finish with the uh, you know clobbering Don Morocco with the uh, with the shin guard. Boom, awesome stuff. Crowd ate it up when 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 Valentine went for the figure four, and Morocco got the inside cradle for the false finish. Crowd was just going nuts, man. They thought that was it. I love that that. That inside cradle off the figure four guy goes to the figure four, gets the spinning toehold part of it, ducks in as he's trying to grab the leg to connect the figure four. The guy taking the figure four reaches up, cradles, cradles the guy giving the figure four for either uh, the finish, which you know like like Terry Funk beating Jeff Bristol for the world title, or Sting beating Ric Flair at that Grand Record Bash 90 match for the world title. Just love that finish. I, I, I think I booked that finish many times because <laughs> I just love it so much. Uh, but yeah, that was sleeper match, dude. Don't pass this match up. You might think, oh, Valentine and Morocco, they're going to be two lumbering guys. No. Watch it. It is definitely the second best match on this show. Um, So yeah, don't skip. Greg Valentine versus Don Morocco. It is a ton of fun. Now, the match of the night. And it should be. It's the match that these people paid money to see. This is the one that brought them into the arena. WF World Champion Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth defeats the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, who is, of course, accompanied at ringside by Virgil, by disqualification in 12 minutes and 18 seconds when Virgil interfered after the bout. You know, the heels stomped the mud hole, left Savage laying. And this match was on fire from the opening bell. Savage gets in the ring, and he starts it off hot. Boom, he goes after DiBiase. He's bouncing him off, you know, turnbuckle to turnbuckle. Uh, even gives him a little bip, little little shot with the belt on the turnbuckle. You know, finally the bell rang, and now they're, now they're cooking, and Savage is just, Bumping DiBiase all around. DiBiase with those, what amazing bumper. He was such a big guy, like six foot, what, six foot four? And, or maybe six five, and just taking these um, smoothest bumps. Um, he would take that that schoolboy bump where he fall back and then roll up on his neck and he end up on his belly down. And that bump always amazed me because, you know, and it, it, it eventually caught up to him because, of course, DiBiase would have neck injuries. And that's what retired him in 1993. And it's just that bump is just wild. He would just bump and 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 shoot up on his neck and just in one motion. It was a beautiful bump. But, man, of course, you know, he suffered for it later on. Um, this is just, this is good wrestling. Just 
I mean, you talk about great series of wrestling matches. You talk about, of course, the, the top tier stuff. Jack Briscoe, Dory Funk Jr., Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, um, Okada, Tanahashi. You know, like a really underrated series of matches is Ted DiBiase versus Randy Savage. They were just, just had that chemistry in there. Crowd is eating everything up here. Uh, yo, DiBiase took over. Yeah. Yo, Virgil, just not not doing much to get too much heat on the outside. Like now he's not like throwing like a lot of punches or or kicks. He just be a little snotty prick on the outside, waving this the money, slap it, slapping Savage in the face with it. And of course, Miss Elizabeth can't do anything. And then Savage was fighting from behind, right? He he. he he was just keep fighting. There'd be some hope. Diviase cut him off a couple times. Oh, crowd was just going nuts. And finally, Savage makes that comeback. And these people are just going crazy. Boom, 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 boom. He has them. Crowd, he, I mean, the part, the, the, the spot, which is awesome. And this is a bump I used to love doing. You know, Bayface, or here, Randy Savage, grabs Virgil. Pulls him up to the to the apron, right? Because he's tired of Virgil getting getting involved. DiBiase charges from behind, and just before he's able to hit Savage, of course, Savage moves, crashes. DiBiase crashes into Virgil. Virgil takes the bump off the apron to the floor. So love that bump. So much fun. Uh, so easy. <laughs> you know, I never took the. I wasn't crazy like Cactus Jack and took the the you know schoolboy to the back uh, to the floor, but I would do the old boom legs in the air, you know you know bump off the apron and roll off to the floor. I just love that bump, my favorite bump, little bip off the apron. And then as they collide, bam, Virgil goes off down. Diossi's reeling. Savage hooks a tight, tight jackknife cradle. One, two, kick out. People were going. They, 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 I thought it was the finish right there. They thought it was over. Savage is hot. Savage is going for the elbow drop. In comes, in comes uh, Virgil on top rope to stop him. Disqualification. The heels start beating the hell out of uh, out of uh, Savage, and it's it's good stuff. They're taking their time with it. It's not rushed. Diviase's measuring it down. The referee's trying to stop him, but Virgil has a referee pin. And then here comes another ref trying to stop it. So it, it looked chaotic, and Divi also leaves some heat, you know. And and for a rematch for the next time, next time they come to Maple Leaf Garden, which was a cage match, right? A perfect finish to build to a cage match. Um, that's not on the Peacock Network, which sucks. But I I want to search it out. It's from August. I got I gotta see that match. They had a really good cage match. I think it was on Saturday's main event when their program starting to. Dwindled down of as at least as DiBiase as a, a single challenger for the WF title. Um, I gotta go back and just check that match out as well. So um, must see, you know, Savage versus DiBiase. Their matches are all must see around this time frame. Um, in a really bizarre match, subbing for Hercules, and once they announced that, the crowd actually groaned because you remember, you know, Hercules was. I think just turned Bayface at the time. You know, uh, he was uh, uh, d- Bobby Heen tried to sell him, or uh, as a slave, <laughs> to the Million Dollar Man. Fucking crazy, crazy stuff in '88. And who would replace Hercules? Terry Taylor, double duty. And he wrestled Richard Charlin, veteran guy of the can- Canadian scene, did some international stuff in Japan, um, and. Terry Taylor won again with Scorpion Deathlock. This was only at five minutes, 48 seconds. Definitely wanted to cool the crowd down after that really hot match with uh, Savage and DiBiase. But this match was funny because it worked a little different. You know, Taylor really didn't heal up too much. Uh, so it almost looked like he was coming off. It looked like he's wrestling as Babyface, really. And then, of course, he started healing towards the end. But, uh, yeah, Terry Taylor came out and the crowd was just like, there, we saw Terry Taylor. So they're like, eh, great. And that was a good match. It just, 
they already seen him. So, and they knew what it was. Like, okay, we just, we're all exhausted from that great Savage T-Bossy match. Now it's time for the, this down, it's time for the, the bathroom break. It's time for the fans to go the concessions. And that's what this match was for, right? It would have been that same match with Hercules versus Rich Charlin. The people would have, you know, they were, Bundy wasn't there, but at the same time, they probably like, you know, this is probably a good time to sneak who's, Hercules is wrestling Richard Charlin, a guy that only the hardcore fans in that arena probably know, but all the casual you know fans are like, who's Richard Charlin, right? So they, you know, they end up, they probably all, okay, this is time to go get refill or another drink or use the restroom. And we'll see what's going on in the next two matches. And those next two matches uh, were good matches in some ways, some rough times. <laughs> um, the next match was a tag team match. Uh, a tag team I talked about on my uh, my favorite guilty presence in wrestling, the Powers of Pain, the Warlord of Barbarian, no manager here, no Baron Von Raschke here, just Bayface Powers of Pain, which was always a weird sight to me, um, versus the Bolsheviks, Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov, a very underappreciated tag team. Um, you know they're not flashy, but they did their job so well, in my opinion, around this time. Um, they had good matches. They they worked well with all the Bayface teams, and they knew their role. You know, they knew their role. They were the mid card team. They're not there. They weren't going to be pushed. They were there to put over the next rising Bayface tag team. And here was that team, the Powers of Pain. And you know, Power of Pain obviously better as a heel. Their look, you know, is more fitting for a heel. Uh, but they were popular as Bayfaces, believe it or not. Um, and I, and this match was, was good as better than their SummerSlam 88 match. Um, not as good as the edited version of the SummerSlam 88 match from the Coliseum home video, which, which that was the match I saw first. And it was like cut down to like two minutes and it's just, you know, powers pain, destroying the Bolsheviks at Madison Garden at SummerSlam 88. So, and the crowd goes nuts for that. But like the whole match is... There's some rough moments in that match. Um, Power Pain looked a little nervous in that match. Uh, and this match was was good. Some good heat from the the heel tag team, the Russians. They did, you know, easy, easy Bayface heel dynamic with the Russians at the time. You know, and and Barbarian went with the big flying clothes on the top rope, which I always loved because he was just just a big jacked up dude come f- go flying. Uh, Barbarian, fucking love that guy. I love Barbarian. Those little fine head on the top. The big boot. Um, just amazing stuff. And Warlord was Warlord. You know, he'd do his own little few moves, but he looked badass, you know, with that look. Uh, it's a good match. It's kind of cool to kind of, if you haven't really seen Power of Pain as Bayface too often, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch. The main event, um, or at least not really the main event, but the last match on the show, but it featured... Some big, some big time players at the time in the WWF. This match actually aired on August first on Prime Time Wrestling, and I don't remember this match at all. I'm, I can't believe I don't remember it. It's the Ultimate Warrior teaming with the British Bulldogs versus Demolition and their manager, Mister Fuji. And I would think I remember the Warrior teaming up with the British Bulldogs. Like, how can I forget that? And I've seen all the Prime Time Wrestling. You know, I mean, it just all just kind of blends together now. And I'm just getting older. Oh, shit, my, I'm going to be 40. Yeah, I'm 45 coming up in a few weeks here. My gosh. Um, this match, I just started laughing off the bat. Because you have the two devious rivers in wrestling history. Dynamite Kid and Mr. Fuji in this match. Um, after all the entrances, everything's in the ring. Referee's trying to sort out who's going to start. And you just see the warrior and dynamite talking to each other, and they're chuckling. I just want to know what they're laughing about. Are they making fun of just Fuji or or just you know what are they what are they talking about? I, mean, I assume it's Fuji. Or I just assume well, I don't know. It just it just <laughs> it just I just want to, I want to know that conversation. We'll never know. We'll never know. Uh this match, you know, was fun, even though there was some rough moments. Fuji, Mr. Fuji a former WF tag team champion. So I took him 
he had credibility to me as a wrestler because of his history. Gorilla Monster always did a great job of talking about his history as a former multiple-time WF champion. Of course, I was such a big fan of the history of wrestling and the title histories at that time. And I would see, like, oh, man, Fuji was a three-time. That, that, the manager of Mr. Fuji was a three-time WF Tag Team Champion. Um, so, and it makes sense. We're in the team of the demolition. And everyone's just jacked in this match. Other than Mr. Fuji. Uh, axe. Little traps, man. He was on the good shit here. Warrior, of course, is warrior. Dynamite's dynamite, you know. And Dave Boy looks great. And, you know, this is a simple, it's a short match. Seven minutes, 37 seconds. And, you know, you get to see Dynamite quickly do his thing. Warrior came in, do his thing. Dave Boy do his thing. Heat on Dave Boy. Hot tag to Warrior. Chaos. And when I saw Fuji in this match, I thought, okay, Fuji's getting pinned, right? Like, but no, it was the Warrior coming off the top rope with a double axe handle, which he would do in matches, pinning Smash. And it was a little rough getting to that finish, but they they, they got through it, and the crowd was, you know, going nuts. Uh, but I was totally shocked that Mr. Fuji did not take the fall in this. Like, why beat the Tag Champions? If you're going to beat the Tag Champions, you know, I don't think I would do it there either. I think I still have Fuji take the fall. And... Now, me, I would say, you know, we're building up the Bulldogs little, you know, summer challenge to the demolition. So it makes sense for them to beat Fuji. Now you can come back. But the Warrior is about ready for his big push. So, I, you know, I guess in hindsight, that was the best call. He's the biggest star, quote, unquote. He's a rising star. And, of course, you want him to, to win the match. And, you know, him coming on top rope as a big guy, you know, look cool and, you know, was able to, and Pink Smash was to me it was a surprise, but it was a fun overall fun show. I really liked the the layout of the show, um, and the matches presented. You know, there was you know one I, I won't say it's a bad match. It's just the Tate Terror Richard Charlin thing. Just you know, it's a, a well worked match. It's just the crowd was into it because they already saw Terry Taylor, and then probably most of them were already just you know they're just still coming down from that great range that Ted DiBiase match, but. You know, everyone's pressed for time these days. Life's busier than ever for everyone. Um, but if you're going to watch this show, really highly recommend Great Valentine vs. Don Morocco. Sleeper match. I, like I said, that would be good, but didn't know how it would be that good. And, of course, Randy Savage Ted DiBiase. You can't, you can't not watch them go. And you're just tearing it up. So that's the Take It On Podcast this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and back to a little trip down memory lane. I, I like to do these every once in a while. And I'll probably do more of these because that's what I'm into right now. So I hope you like them. And if there's any kind of old school show or some modern stories you want me to watch, just hit me up and uh, I'll check it out and I'll review it here on the Take It Home Podcast. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, follow me at, at LaRockaJL. Uh, hit me up and let's talk some wrestling. All right. Everyone have a great weekend. Take care. Be safe. <laughs>